Merry Christmas, everyone. Great to be with you. And um, I'm just going to do a quick little check to see if we are the craziest family in the, uh, in the room here. We have 27 people coming for lunch tomorrow. Can anyone beat that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're having to transform most of our house to accommodate. And we have multiple families staying with us tonight as well. So I think we take the cake or the pudding, the pudding, as the case may be at this time of year. Um, I'm going to just focus on these couple of verses. I already have something in the oven, so this is not going to take a long time. That's the, that's the guarantee. It, uh, it, it, I've got to get back and just make sure it's not burning. So um, we'll be only here for a short time. No, no, it's, it's great to be able to share God's word. Stuart is my name, and I'm one of the elders here, and it is a great joy to be able to share this Christmas time and focus on these couple of verses. We are coming to the end of a, a year of teaching around... The, the story and way of Jesus. That's been our theme for the year. And we've looked at two main parts of the Bible. Uh, the Gospel of Luke, which is like a bio of Jesus. Not quite, but like that sort of thing. And then the book of Hebrews, which is basically a book where someone riffs on, isn't he amazing? Isn't he amazing? We don't know who the writer is, but boy, he's got it clear. Jesus is amazing. And he comes right to the very end of the book where he he's written to these people, these Christian people, and he wants them just to, to sum it up. And we're going to look at that today. Um, today the focus, Christmas Day, is on the baby but we're not going to be focusing in our reading so much on the baby as who he is and what he's done why what he's done is so important uh, you know, the, the thing is when we celebrate somebody's birthday it, it's not that they were a baby although sometimes embarrassing parents will tell a story of a baby won't they, you know, the 21st party, party that sort of thing but really we focus on the person and so I want to do that through these verses today. And just focus on the first couple of verses that were read. This is Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The God of peace, what a great concept for, uh, peace is. I was listening to the radio the other day and it was fairly dull and um, I, I, just, I, I, I have an incredible ability to kind of endure dull things I've realised in my life. Um, it, 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 it's, it's a blessing. I can be anywhere and just, you know, look, time passes, it's okay. But they were talking about, you know, some, some guy rang in and talking about Christmas and the, the little things, the little throwaway lines, you know, Christmas is either all about family that wasn't the theme this time. It's all about peace. Surely Christmas is all about peace. That was the little throwaway line from the presenter as he was chatting along. Well, let's have a look at why that is. It's because God is a God of peace and Christmas is, in fact, a time of great peace. Christmas is a time where the angels declared, he's here, he's here. The Prince of Peace is here and he's come to bring peace for people whom God knows and God gets on with. That's the idea. It's all about God's peace. Well, in these verses, it describes God as the God of peace. And let's see how it is he brings that about. What is he trying to bring? What peaceful activity? Well, the first little bit, I want to jump to the, uh, the back half of what I read in verse 21. And what God is trying to do is equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him. I would summarize this in today's speak and say that God is wanting to do great things in you and through you. I don't know if you've thought about life like that. Have you thought about yourself? You know, what am I here for? 
It's actually for this. For God to do great things in you and God to do great things through you. Now, a lot of people, I think, um, they don't know that in the first place. Or some people know it, but they don't kind of really believe it deep within themselves. And so it doesn't impact how they live. Or other people kind of know it here, but it just doesn't work out in their lives. It is an amazing thought that God wants to do great things in you and through you. Most of us put up with a pretty mediocre kind of view of ourselves. Sometimes because we've been put down, we've been told we ought to think mediocre thoughts of ourselves. Other times because things just haven't worked out. We've tried this relationship, we've tried that work thing, we've tried whatever it is and it just hasn't worked out. And yet God wants to do great things in us and great things through us. I want you to ask yourself the question, what sort of great things might he want me to do? What might he want to do, do in me and through me? That is a really good question to ask. Just Probably not today between, you know, putting the turkey on your plate and pouring the, pouring the, the, uh, the, the uh, gravy on. Not, not, not then, but take some time to ask, what great things might God want to actually do in me? And it doesn't matter if you're 5 or 50 or older, God still wants to do great things in your life. This is an amazing thought. Now, the answer that this passage gives is, what might he want to do? It's what's pleasing to God. This elevates what we're actually thinking. He's not just interested in this or that bit of our life. He's not just interested in something that is, is kind of temporary and passing, but actually that we might live a life pleasing to him. That gives it ultimate meaning. Your life has an ultimate meaning because of what God wants to do in your life and through you. He wants you to be better within yourself, free of anxiety and worry. He wants you to be the kind of person who is not anxious for the future. He wants you to be free of addictions. He wants you to be free of stupidity in the life. You know, you look at people sometimes, they make such stupid decisions for their lives. He wants you to be free of all that stuff. And if it's in the past, that it might remain in the past. And he wants you to have that kind of life. That's a lovely life of peace to live out of and therefore to bring blessing and goodness to other people. He wants you to be better in relationships. Uh, I'm just delighted to be married to Marion because she helps me be better at relationships. I get lots of stuff done and then every now and then she points out where I could do a little better in relation relationships and then I go and try, usually. I'm working on that too. He wants us to be better at relationships where we get on with people. We're, we're the people who walk into the room and people go, ah, oh, now there's a chance things could work out better. I remember my sister very facetiously once said, I showed up late to this party, I've forgotten what it was, but I showed up a little late and she said, oh, it's here, now Stuart's here, we can start. Now it'll be okay, he can fix it. I knew she was joking, she's my sister. But actually, that's the kind of person I want to be. That when I show up, things are better. Things, things have got a chance of getting on better. That's how God wants to work in me and he wants to work that way in you also. He wants you to be the kind of person who brings good to relationships, brings hopefulness, not cynicism or, or desperate, ah, it's all problems, it's all difficult. No, no, no. He wants you to be the person who, when you come into the situation, you're bringing good and love and grace. He wants that for you. He wants you to be the kind of person that overcomes tensions, not creates them. He wants you to be better in the world as well as you think more broadly about your connection at your workplace. Or for some of you, maybe even broader than that, in the wider community or all of Australia or all of the world, he wants us to be at work for peace and good and reconciliation amongst people. Imagine being that sort of person. 
Some of you already can. Some of you go, actually, yeah, God's been doing that in me. What a joy and a blessing that is. What a wonderful thing that the God of peace would be wanting you to be better equipped to be the best kind of person you can be. Better within yourself, better in relationships and better within the world. That's what God is working towards. Now, how does he do it? Because that's a big thing, isn't it? How do you actually get that happen? Is it a self-help group? Well, no. There's lots of helping goes on in churches, wonderful. And our gospel communities, I hope, are wonderful places of helping us to do this. But that's basically not about that. It's about what God has done for us. Therefore, he can do in us and through us. This is the purpose of Jesus being born. That's the purpose of Christmas. When Jesus was born, he was on a trajectory to do stuff. He wasn't just born to be the baby. He was born to do stuff in his life, which will ultimately lead to amazing miracles and teaching and people understanding new life, and then to his death, and then to his resurrection, and then to him coming back again. That was the trajectory of Jesus' life. So how is it that God does this? Well, we're told in the verse, he does it through the eternal covenant. A covenant is, um, you know, we don't have the word very often, but it's like you sometimes covenant on houses, don't you? You know, you can only build bland-looking coloured houses, that sort of thing, in one suburb. That's why some suburbs are just all the same, because they have covenants. You can only build really ugly houses in that suburb. Sorry, I'm expressing my opinions, just opinions, and I'm not naming which suburbs... So covenants on land or on house building. But we also talk about the holy covenant of marriage, the sacred covenant of marriage, where we bind ourselves to somebody else. This is a covenant of all time. This he talks about, now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, he's talking about Jesus' death as a covenant, as an agreement that God has made with the world. That's the idea. In the Old Testament, in the older days, the Hebrews had this idea of a covenant that they needed to deal with their sin and God set up a covenant for them. But then in more recent days, it is about Jesus and his covenant that he sets up for us. Sin is a problem for us. We need it dealt with and we need it dealt with through a death and that's Jesus' death. And that's what sin, I guess you'd define as anything that holds us back from being what I was talking about earlier, being the best kind of person we can be. God in us and working through us. It's a serious issue, but Jesus solves the problem. That's the great news here. This little baby in the manger had a task. He was on his way to do stuff. He took it on himself, the task the father set, and he lived out his life, and then he died his life, and he was raised again. His death was to solve the problem of our sin. And it's described as an eternal covenant. Um, I travel around a lot with my work all over the world. It's a great thing. I could be in five or ten or twenty countries in a year, every year. And I, I ask myself, I have this little game. I, I get to um, get back home or even as I'm travelling, I think, you know, what things are kind of universally true? You know, um, well, there's very, very few things. I, I, I can't really think. Like food in one place is not food in another place. It's yuck. Uh, and, you know, the sort of the way you live your life, the patterns of life in one country to the next, they're all varying. I, I have a, it's not a foolproof one, but a really good hot shower, I think, is universally good. There are a couple of cultures where that's not true. But see, even that, I'm struggling to find things. What, what is universally true? So few things. And, and, you know, the politics of this world, one of the things I love is going to a different country and say, how do you view the world from your perspective? Because the way that I view it from where I am in Australia is very different from how other places view the world. 
And not just about each other, but about some other part. It's a fascinating thing to do. But all that just goes to say is how, how relative things are. What is eternally true? I'm going to suggest to you there are five big things, and we're going to hit a couple of them right here today. Uh, the first is that God created the world through Jesus. The second is Jesus was born. That's today, Christmas Day, we remember. The third is that he died for us. The, th the next is he rose from the dead and went to heaven with God. And the, th the last one, the fifth, is he'll come back again. There's five eternally true things the Bible says about each of those things. They last forever. They are important for all time in every place. That's worth reflecting on today. And two of them get referenced today, and the third one is Christmas. So here we go. So here we have this idea that this covenant that God made is an eternal covenant. It lasts forever. That makes it worth knowing about. That Christ has died for us to bring us back to God, to make the God of peace our God and us be at peace with him is an amazing thing. That's one of those great top eternal truths. And then the next one links immediately to it. God brings Christ back from the dead. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you for everything. So that's how it flows. The clue to the new world that God wants to bring in our lives and in our world is Jesus' resurrection. Jesus coming back from life. You see, it's not just that he rose from death. That's true. He was dead, then he wasn't dead. But the, the phrase is again and again in the Bible that he rose from the dead, from among all the dead people. The idea is he's a trendsetter. I don't know if you think of Jesus like that. He's a trendsetter, not in terms of fashion or something, but in terms of life and death matters. He sets the trend. He's the first of many is the concept. If you can get one person out of dead, out from among the dead, then you can get others. That's the point of this passage, that he is the trendsetter for coming back to life. Jesus is the first of many. And his resurrection means that the long promise that God would make a new world has begun. That's the point of it. That trajectory that that little baby was on was that he might create a new world through his death and through his resurrection. And so we have this eternal covenant. And because God's uh, sent Christ to die, he also rose him back to life and brought about this new world that we're living in and enjoying and so he can be our shepherd, is the other phrase there. The great shepherd of the sheep. The one who can look after us and care for us. The one who can take us to the right places, shield us from difficulty and dangers. These are the things of God. These are the eternal things. These are the things that make Christmas make sense. Make, make the birth of that baby on this day, all those years ago, matter today. See, if it was just another baby, I, I don't want to say anything about any babies that have been born lately, but they're all very cute, aren't they? They're all lovely. That's enough. We'll see how they go. We'll see how they go in life. Their parents will have frustrations. I always look at uh, parents with, you know, 10-year-olds, and I go, oh, just wait, just wait. Only a year or two, just wait. All right, we'll see how they go. But this baby we're talking about, this Jesus baby, on his trajectory to do amazing things in his life, to die and to rise is to bring in a new world. And that's the world we celebrate today. That's what Christmas is about. Happy Christmas, everyone. <laughs> the last verse, the very last verse of this book of Hebrews, he says this, just a couple of words. Grace be with you all. God's grace be with you all. I'm going to pray now. Please join me. 
our God of peace who sent Jesus into our world. We thank you for these days to celebrate Jesus, his birth, his covenantal death, his rising again. And we thank you too for his work in us and through us. May we be open more and more to that work. May we experience the great joy of having Christ in us, working us in us to be the best we can be and helping us to make a difference in this world for good. We thank you, Father, for the Christmas celebrations. Uh, make us the ones who do good at each gathering we're in. Help us show your goodness, your peace, your kindness, your love. We pray, Father, for families who are without much. We thank you, Father, for those who provide for them at these times. We pray, Father, for those who struggle with mental illness, with those who are lonely or rejected by their families. We ask that this Christmas somehow peace might come, that your people would bring that peace. We pray more widely around the world for those in refugee camps or those fleeing difficult countries or situations, war areas. We pray that there might be care, even surprising care for them in these times of need. We pray too, Father, for Christian brothers and sisters around the world, some amongst other faiths. Some have good neighbours, some have tensions, some even persecutions. We pray you'd be with them and that you bring peace. We ask, Father, that this Christmas we might all come closer to you, learn more of the baby and what he grew up to be and to do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.